Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and go with me to Nehemiah chapter number six tonight. Nehemiah in chapter six. Just stay standing with me for just a second. Nehemiah chapter six is where we're going to find our place here this evening. Nehemiah six. And look down at verse number 15, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse number 15. And we're going to go down to verse 19, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 to verse 19. If you don't have your Bible with you, it should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you, maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 to verse 19. Look at verse 15 now. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month of Elu in 52 days. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, They were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, And the son of Era. And his son, Johan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words unto him. And Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use your word in our lives tonight. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Chapter 6 is a film reel, if you will, of the devil's strategy that he brings against us when we have set ourselves to do a good work. That's what we've been calling this study in Nehemiah, a good work. And Nehemiah said, this is the good work that God has given me to do. And what we're seeing is we're seeing how Nehemiah was able to accomplish this good work. But what we are also seeing is we're seeing the devil's devices in the way in which he attempts to stop the good work that God has called each of us to do. You remember the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says that we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. Which which simply means we, we are aware of his schemes. We know how he has set himself against us. And how are we aware of this? Or... Or how do we know this? How do we have knowledge of the way that the devil works against us? And the answer is because it's recorded for us in the Bible. So professional athletes, when uh, they work out, they don't simply work out and build strength and and try to improve their own skills. That's, of course, one thing that they do, but that's not all they do. 
What they also do is they spend time studying their opponents. They spend a lot of time studying their opponents. They watch a lot of film. And they try to, to break down in the film their opponent's strategies or their opponent's plays. They, they try to highlight various players. Say, if, if this lineup looks like this, then it's, the ball's probably going to go to this player in this end zone at this time. And the, the, these teams use these repeated strategies. So, so one of the ways that you're able to compete against this other team who has as much skill, as much talent as you have, is you're aware of the strategy that they're trying to use. And that's what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 6. You're seeing the strategy that oftentimes the devil uses in order to cause us to stop the good work that God has given us to do. I, I can tell you this, one of the strategies that he uses, that you're seeing in this text, is he uses the pile-up technique. You've, you've likely experienced this in your own life, but it's, it's one attack, one accusation, one struggle, one temptation, right after the other. It's just one right after the other, and the strategy is to wear you down... So that you no longer have the resolve to fight. It's just one temptation right after the other. One accusation right after the other. One struggle right after the other. So that your resolve is weakened. And that's what we've seen in this text. We've seen chapter 6 at the very beginning of this. We saw the dangers that were there. We saw Sambala and Tobiah calling to Nehemiah, come over here, come over here. We, we want to meet with you. We want to talk about this. And yet, verse 2, look at the text. Verse 2, but they thought to do me mischief. So Nehemiah says, no, no, no. I, I'm going to avoid this dangerous situation because I am being compelled by a purpose that God has given to me. The wall isn't finished, so I'm not coming down. Plus, on top of that, I know that you guys have intent in your heart to do me harm. And so I'm not coming there. And Nehemiah, over and over in this text, and we've, we've highlighted this, we're just reminding you. that Over and over in this text, Nehemiah has exercised great spiritual discernment. And not just spiritual discernment, but also just an awareness that the days in which he was living were evil. So he isn't just blindly going through life. That's not what's happening with Nehemiah. He is aware of the dangers, but it, it wasn't just that. Now, right after that is this, this defamation of his character. He says, here comes this guy. This is verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8. Here comes this guy who stands up in the middle of the city and begins to declare that Nehemiah is only building the wall for his own glory. And it's this huge defamation of his character. We talked about this is gossip and slander. You remember the difference between gossip and slander? Do you, have, do you have a working Bible understanding of the word gossip in your mind? Gossip is not just talking about someone. Gossip is talking about someone destructively. It's using your words about someone else who is not there and using them destructively about that individual. It's not wrong to talk good about someone who isn't there. 
That is not gossip. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, you should let your praise be in the mouth of someone else. You should want people to talk good about you when you are not there. Gossip is destructive speech about someone else while that person is not there. But there's a difference between gossip and slander. Slander is not just destructive speech, it's dishonest speech. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to frame up in our minds these biblical categories for what Nehemiah was facing. Why? Because we want to be aware of the devil's devices. We, we want to study the opponent. We want to know the strategy that he uses against us. And so there's these dangers. There was this defamation. Then there was this distraction that Nehemiah faced. This distraction that, that tempted to pull him away Pull him away from the work that God has given him to do. But here's what you need to understand. There's, there's another strategy used in the text. And the strategy is one of division. The, the strategy is one of division. You're getting to the end of this and you're noticing verse 17, verse 18, verse 19. Notice those verses. Moreover, the, those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. Now, who's Tobiah in the text? You have to think about that for a second. Who is Tobiah in the text? And Nehemiah's already told us who Tobiah is. That Tobiah had tied his wagon to the wagon of Samballat. It's Samballat and Tobiah who in chapter 2 and in chapter 3 had set themselves against Nehemiah. They had set themselves against the good work that God had called them to do. And they wanted to see the wall stay down. They didn't want to see the wall go up. And now here Tobiah comes back onto the pages at the end of what is what is apparently the wall already being built. And you see the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. So they're corresponding back and forth. You'll notice that there were many who had sworn unto him. Look at verse 18. There were many who had sworn unto him. Because why? Because of who his family were, the relationships that he had. And then notice verse 19. And they reported his good deeds. Whose? They, they, they reported the deeds of Tobiah before Nehemiah. And then they uttered my words, Nehemiah's words, to Tobiah. And so Tobiah sent letters to me to put me in fear. So you're noticing what's happening at the end of this text is this division has come into the equation. Again, I'm reminding you, what, what, what are we studying? We're studying the way that our enemy works. Because when you are aware of his strategy, you can defend against his technique. When you've seen the film, you know what's coming. And you can be ready to combat his strategy with one of your own. So let me point out a couple of things here. First, notice this. There is a non-stop, steady, relentless attack. It's, it's, the attack is resilient against the good work that Nehemiah has set himself to do. And the, and the attack is resilient against you. It just piles up one right after the other. 
It's something in the family. It's something at work. It's something with the school. It's something with a coworker. It's something with a neighbor. It's something with your kids. It's something with your health. It's something with your car. It, it's, it's something with, uh, you know, the, the house. It's something in the windows. It's something on the phone. It's, it just piles up, right? When it rains, it, it pours. That's the strategy being deployed in Nehemiah 6. It's just stacking up against him. So Nehemiah had avoided the distraction. He had navigated the danger. He had resisted the defamation of his character. And now we come to chapter number 6. Look at verse number 15. It's almost anticlimactic, isn't it? The whole book is about what? The whole book of Nehemiah is about the building of the wall. And look how just almost nonchalant it is in the text. Verse 15, so the wall was finished in 52 days. It's almost anticlimactic. The whole book of Nehemiah is about building the wall. And all you're getting is one little verse. It's almost the shortest verse in the entire book. You're getting one little verse. The wall was completed, 52 days. There you go. And oh yeah, by the way, the defamation was still there. The distraction was still there. The danger was still there. The division was still there. But don't allow the brevity of that verse to cause you to miss out on the power of that verse. You remind yourself, these are ordinary people who are facing extraordinary opposition and they are rising to build this wall in just 52 days. Remember this, that this book, the book of Nehemiah, is not the story of a great battle. It's the story of a great building, the building of the wall. That's why you have chapter after chapter of so-and-so swung a hammer and so-and-so hung the hinges and so-and-so stacked the bricks and so-and-so swept the yard and so-and-so planted the grass and so-and-so. It's the story of ordinary people who are just doing an ordinary work of building the wall that God had called them to do. So let me, make a, let me make a point here in the introduction. Write this down. If you will do little things, God will do big things. If you will do little things, God will do big things. Listen, oftentimes in our spiritual lives, we think, I gotta do a big thing. I, 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 gotta, I gotta complete a big work. I gotta do this, I gotta revolutionize, all, I've gotta change this, I gotta do a 180. Listen, oftentimes as it relates to spiritual growth, if you will do the little things, God will take care of the big things. If, if you'll practice the day in, day out, ordinary things of obedience that God has called you to do, God will take care of the rest. And many times people never get started in their spiritual journey. They have all kinds of hopes to get started. They have all kinds of ideas and things that they want to do, but they never get going. Why? Because they fail to do the little thing. 
They fail to wake up in the morning and thank God for breath. They, they, they fail to open the Bible before they adventure out on their day. But they, they fail to say thank you. They don't just do the little things. And I don't know where you are specifically on your spiritual journey, but can I tell you this? Do the little things. Do the little things. You think the guy who was hanging the hinges, you think he thought, oh, wow, this is going to be amazing. I can't wait until I do a really big thing. That guy's just over there hanging hinges. He's probably thinking to himself, what good does this hinge have to do with the whole wall? And here you go. Chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished. Why? Because a whole bunch of ordinary people did little things. Because a whole bunch of ordinary people did little things. I am telling you, in your marriage, do the little things. Do the little things. I'm, I'm telling you, in your parenting, do the little things. In your friending, do the little things. At, at the office, do the little things. In your neighborhood, do the little things. As it relates to caring for someone in your life, do the little things. It's not, well, I don't want to do the little things. I want to do the really big things. You know, the stuff that I can post on Facebook that make me look so awesome. No, no, no. If we do the little things, God will take care of the big things. So let me, let's, just, let's be clear here. What are the little things? What are the little areas of obedience for you? Remember what Solomon said? Solomon's the wisest man to ever live according to the Bible. He wrote the book of Proverbs. Remember what Solomon said? It's the small foxes that spoil the vine. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a metaphor for saying, you, you, know, you know what ruins an entire crop? Little things. All the little things that are left undone, that's what causes an entire field of crop to go to waste because someone didn't do the little things right. I am telling you, wherever you are in your life today, make the commitment, I'm going to do the little things. Doesn't feel that big, doesn't feel that significant, doesn't feel that awesome, doesn't feel that revolutionary, it doesn't feel that life-changing, doesn't feel like a 180 moment, but... I'm going to commit to do the little things because if we do that, God takes care of the big things. You do the little things for 52 days in a row and guess what? God built the wall. That's what happened in the text, right? They just did little things every day and then they looked back and the wall was built. The wall was built. I'm telling you, wherever you are in your life, make the commitment right now that you're going to do the little things. And sometimes people go through seasons of grief, seasons of loss. You know what you need to commit to do? The little things. Sometimes people go into long seasons and bouts of depression. Why? Because they stop doing little things. They stop going for walks. They, they stop taking a shower. They stop eating. None of these things are helping them. They're not doing little things. And so what happens? The wall crumbles all around them. Instead of the wall being built, the wall falls to pieces. This is why you must commit to do the little things. I'm telling you, I can do this in, in any area you want to talk about tonight. 
I can show you the importance of doing the little things in your life and allowing God to do the big things in your heart, in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your parenting, with your husband, with your friends, whatever it may be. Do the little things. And you look back and 52 days later, guess what happens? They're built. Now watch it. I'm going to show you one more thing just by way of introduction. I'm not to the sermon yet, so sit tight. I told Amanda, tonight's going to be quick. It's spring break. And she said, famous last words of every pastor. Tonight, it's going to be quick. Okay. But it will be. But I got to get through this, so it will be quick. Okay, here we go. Now, watch this. There's a second part, I want, a second idea I want to show you. They counted the days. They counted the days. 52 days, the walls was complete. If you count the days... The days will count. If you count the days, the days will count. If you don't count the days, they won't count. You know why oftentimes things don't get done in our marriage, in our families, with our friends, in relationships that God has given us? We, we aren't counting days. So, some of you have had this experience. I, I, I've had this experience in a, in a limited sense. Both my boys off to college. It seemed like yesterday. Gabriel and Ethan were right where Emery and Ella are. How, how many of you parents, you can, you can relate to this? It seemed like yesterday they were both just this big, running around church, causing all kinds of problems. It seemed like yesterday they were this big. And now I look... And they're not this big anymore. Now they're both taller than I am. You don't count the days, the days won't count. But if you count the days, the days count. You know what you need to do in your marriage? Count the days. You know what you need to do in your, with your parenting? Count the days. Make the days count. You get to the New Testament. Let me tell you how that sounds in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul says it like this. Think about it. Put your New Testament thinking cap on for a second and think about it. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming means buy back the time. That word redeeming the time is the same word that Paul used in Galatians chapter 3 where he says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Right, so the sin that was on us, Christ bought us back when he died on the cross. He redeemed us. He bought us back. He's saying the same thing. Redeem the time. Buy back the time. Why? Notice, because the days are evil. So the idea is not just make good use of your time. That's not all that Paul is saying. And that's not what all that Nehemiah is communicating. He isn't just saying make good use of your time. He is saying make spiritual use of your time. Why? Because days are evil, that's why. So, so part of the strategy of using our time spiritually is because we are aware of this reality. And what is the reality? The reality is the days are evil. The reality is we're engaged in a spiritual warfare. The reality is the devil has set himself against us. 
The reality is there is a strategy out to tear down the walls of our lives. So redeem the time. Because the days are evil. Not just so you'll make good use of your time. But because there is something greater at stake. There is something far more eternal at stake. There is something far more spiritual at stake. So, so watch this. We're in verse 15. So the wall was finished. Small things became big things with God's help. They counted the days, 50 and two days. Look at verse 16. Verse 16. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of God. Now, now don't miss this. You, you remember in chapter 2 and in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, Sam Ballot and Tobiah are bringing all of these enemies in against Nehemiah and the Jews. Remember, they're writing letters to all the provinces and they're telling all the provinces, you know what Nehemiah is doing down here? You know what the Jews are doing down here? You know, you know, the, you know what they're, they're trying to make Nehemiah the king? They're, they're slandering, they're gossiping, they're attacking, they're plotting, they're conspiring, they're coming up against war against them. Remember? And they're bringing all of these enemies from all kinds of directions. And if you only read chapter 2 and chapter 3, you would think, wow, their lies worked. Their lies worked. Everybody around Nehemiah thought Nehemiah was doing this selfish work for his own glory. And if you stopped reading those chapters, that's what you think. But you would miss chapter 6, verse 16. Because chapter 6, verse 16 says that all the enemies who had been conspiring, all the enemies who had been listening, guess what? They had to step back and be made aware that the work that was being done was the work not of Nehemiah, not of the Jews. It was, in fact, look at it. The work was wrought of our God. So all the enemies of Sam Ballot, all the people he drew into his little circle, only widened the circle of God's glory. I think that's probably one of the most overlooked lessons in this text. All of the people that Sam Ballot and Tobiah drew into their little circle of defamation and distraction and danger and division, all of those people in the end only widened the circle of the glory of God. Because in the end, they all had to acknowledge what was being done in Jerusalem was a work from 
God. If you, ha- if you have your Bibles, do, do, do you mark in your Bible? I'm not for sure if you mark in your Bible or not. If you, if you don't, it's, 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 it's a good idea to do it, at least small references. Sometimes in mine next to verses, I write other verses that it reminds me of. This is, this is an idea in Bible study called cross-referencing. So let me give you a verse to write down next to, next to verse 16. I wrote Genesis chapter 50. In Genesis chapter 50, you know what you have happening in that story? You have, you have one like really, really familiar verse in Genesis 50. I think it's verse 20. And it reads, what you meant for evil, God meant for, and it's the story of Joseph and his brothers. You remember it? You remember it? Yes? Okay. So you know what's happening in, in uh, verse 16 of chapter 6? It's a, what you meant for evil, God used for good moment. What you did by trying to get everybody to turn against us, God turned against you when the wall was built. And then God turned that wall into his own glory. So God was glorified. Now, how did that happen? You got, you, got, you got a point there, first point. How did that happen? Here's how that happened. Nehemiah's persistent resistance. Nehemiah's persistent resistance gained the victory for God. When all the surrounding nations saw that the wall was built, what did they do? What did they say? They said, that wall is a work of God. So what were they doing in that moment? They were glorifying God. Do do you see see? What, what Sambalad and Tobiah tried to do that was evil actually only worked good for God. More people were glorifying God as a result of it. And this is the way it is with our God. This is the way he works. He takes the strategy and devices of evil and fleshly and worldly things and he turns them all on their own head and he gets glory from all of that for himself. That isn't just true for Nehemiah and it isn't just true for Joseph. It can also be true for you. But you and I must commit to be persistent in resisting the strategies of the devil. So let me give you a couple things here. Three points. I'm not going to give you the second point tonight. We'll, we'll tackle it next week so that I might be able to fulfill my commitment to Amanda and be short, all right? Letter A here under the first one. Persistence develops a steadfast faith in the character of God. Why be persistent? Why, why, why do the small things? Because when you do that, it develops in you a steadfast faith Not in your circumstances. Not in your relationships. 
not in your health, but it develops in you a steadfast faith in the character of God. It, it bolsters your faith in Him. So persistence develops steadfast faith in the character of God. Second, persistence develops a closeness in our relationship with God. Persistence develops a closeness in our relationship with God. So when we are day in, day out, doing what God has given us, doing the work, the good work that God has given us to do in front of us, you know what it fills our lives with? It fills our lives with purpose. We're not, we're not aimless. We're not wandering. We're not, we're not longing for some kind of deeper meaning. No, no, no. We have purpose. We have meaning. We aren't lost. We're doing what God has put in front of us to do. And we're doing it consistently with persistence and resilience. And it's bolstering our faith in the character of God. It's drawing us closer in our relationship to God because we're dependent on Him. And then third, our, pers our persistence positions us to see the power of God. If, if Nehemiah and the Jews had given up in the face of resilience, the wall would never have been completed. The power of God would have never been demonstrated. God would have never received the glory which is rightly due his name. And the same is true in our lives. Persistence in the work that God has given you to do, whatever that work is. Persistence in the work that God has given you to do positions us to see the power of God in our lives. You heard of the preacher from several decades ago, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a man who lived his life on a mission. But before his 20th birthday... He was 19 years old. He wrote 70 resolutions. Just out of curiosity, anybody ever read Jonathan, Jonathan Edwards' 70 resolutions? Anybody ever read them? What? You're kidding me? Okay, we're getting that in the bookstore. You're going to read them. Go Google them tonight. They're amazing. And, and they're even more incredible thinking from the, from the hand and the mind of a 19-year-old. I, 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 I challenge you, go read those tonight. You will be... You will be amazed. I'm going to give you three of them because I know most of you won't go home and read them tonight. Resolution number five is this. Here's what he wrote. I'm reminding you, this is a 19-year-old. I am resolved never to lose one moment of time but improve it in the most profitable way that I possibly can. I am resolved to never lose one moment of time, but to use it in the most profitable way that I possibly can. 
I know 50-year-olds who can't think like that. Resolution number 41. I am resolved to ask myself at the end of every day, every week, every month, every year, wherein I could possibly in any respect have done better. I'm resolved to ask myself at the end of every day, week, month, and year, is there any way, anything I did today that I could have done better? Is there anything I did this week I could have done better? Anything I did this last month, any, any words I used, any, any relationship I had, any, any day I had, could I have used it any better in any respect? The third one, resolution number 52. He writes, I hear frequently persons in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. So I am resolved that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done, supposing I live to an old age. He says, I don't want to get to the end of my life and think, I wish I could do this over, I wish I could do this over. No, I'm going to live my life right now in such a way that if I were old, I wouldn't wish I could redo this moment. Okay, did, did, I, did I at least pique your interest in his resolutions? Okay, it's not, they're easy. They're like a sentence long, okay? Jonathan Edwards, 70 resolutions. You know what he's saying? He's saying the same thing Paul said. I'm redeeming the time because the days are evil. He's saying, thing, he's saying the same thing Nehemiah did. I'm going to be faithful in these little things. I'm going to count days because the days count. And I want to count them. And I want them to count, not for my glory, but for God's glory. Not for me, but for him.